Let's be real. There's only one math formula you really need to know. Marketing leaders plus in-depth discussions about their insights and challenges equals the ultimate podcast for your marketing career, CMO Combo. People can't buy from you if they don't know who you are. Seems obvious, yet it seems that CMOs are constantly having to fight their corner when it comes to investing in brand awareness. It's time to break things down and really show the ROI and profitability of putting money into brand awareness. And we're doing just that with Rachel Donnelly, CMO of Experian Marketing Services. You've probably seen the news about how short the average tenure is for CMOs. Make sure you don't just survive, but thrive with the Alliance's C-Suite Masterclass. Whether you're looking to climb the ladder or currently an experienced marketing leader, you'll find everything you need to navigate the modern C-Suite. Across four months, you'll learn from experienced executives from leading brands like Trustpilot, Slack, Samsung, and more on how to drive results, inspire teams, and secure your place at the table. Don't be another statistic about the tenure of CMOs. Instead, join the ranks of the world's greatest business leaders. Check the link in the show notes for more information. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to CMO Convo. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing today, Will? I'm good. I'm good. Nothing better than doing some podcasting on a Friday with a big weekend ahead. So thank you very much for joining me to set me up nicely for a bit of freedom over the next couple of days. So thank yeah, you, Rachel. Thank and also, you for having me. Well, thank you as well, because it's an important conversation that we're going to be having as well. Um, brand awareness. That's always a big topic in the CMO Alliance community, particularly right now with a lot of pressures that a lot of um, organizations are under. So I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you, Rachel. But before we do dig into all that good stuff, maybe you could introduce yourself to our audience, tell us a bit about your background and why this topic was so important for you to be talking about today. Sure. So uh, my name is Rachel Donnelly. I am the Chief Marketing Officer for Experian Marketing Services. That is the marketing arm um, data and analytics department within Experience. A lot of people know Experian as a credit bureau, um, and they a lot of people don't actually know that there's other parts of the business that are B2B focused, and one of those is the the marketing department that I that I'm working in. So our our goal is to help um brands, marketers, agencies, technology companies reach their customers in a more effective and efficient way through use of marketing data and identity capabilities. Um, and that's really kind of the core of what we've been doing. And I joined Experian about a year and a half ago. Um, before that, I was with a company called Publicis. It's an advertising holding company. Um, and I was with a number of startups beforehand and always kind of focused on marketing, product marketing, sales enablement. And this is um, the first CMO role that I have. So it's been a really exciting, fun year and a half building the function, building the team and and really uh, thinking about how we want to be seen in the market going forward. Fantastic. I mean, it's quite a year to be stepping into your first CMO role. It must have been quite a quite a roller coaster so far. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. So when I started um, a year and a half ago, the company had acquired an, another company called TapEd. So um, the goal of that acquisition was to help uh, accelerate our transition into digital and addressable channels and data. Um, and marketing was the first function that kind of came together. So really figuring out what did we want to be kind of as we grew up, right, as one big company together with this acquisition, what did that mean? What were the brands we were taking forward? Um, and how did that translate to our customers? So a lot of the last year has been building the function. So really establishing uh, the marketing best practices, but also doing a lot of research and understanding how we could kind of use this year to set us up for success. And as like a, a jumping board for the next five plus years in terms of strategy. So it's, it's been, it's been quite a, quite a process of research, understanding, and then building kind of that fun foundational groundwork. 
Excellent, excellent. Well, I look forward to seeing what you build from here on out, Rachel. But back to the the matter at hand, and one of the, one of the angles that we wanted to talk about today was there was the profitability of brand awareness. But before we do get to that, because it's a, obviously a very important topic, let's start maybe sort of like a foundational level. Let's let's define what do we mean by brand awareness. It's a term that we hear a lot in marketing circles, and it's often seen as one of these sort of almost like vanity metrics that only marketers care about. But what do you define brand awareness as, um, as a ba- mainly through the lens of the conversation we're going to be having today? Sure. So I think I when I think about brand awareness, it is do people actually know your brand and what you stand for and what you can deliver for them? So as I said, kind of at the top of the call, um, a lot of people know Experian as a credit bureau. Not a lot of people, unless you're working with us directly already or you've worked with us in the past, know about our marketing arm and our marketing and data capabilities. And um, it's also the history of Experian um, is well known in in the credit and services and consumer side of the business. So building the B2B brand is really important for us, but building on all of the legacy that Experian already has as a brand was also very important. So when I think of it, it's do our customers know who we are? Do our prospects know who we are? Do they know how we stack up against the competition? And are, are our employees also able to evangelize and advocate for us out in the marketplace. Um, so are we all kind of speaking the same from the same playbook and whatnot? Um, but yes, it is hard to measure. Uh, there are things that you can measure from a brand awareness perspective around um, share of voice, um, around um, uh, coverage. So even some coverage at events or in um earned media also around say like analyst coverage so there's a lot of different things that we can look at that help us tell the story of an increase in brand awareness especially because we were starting kind of from scratch so i think i'm in a really unique position where there wasn't a ton of brand awareness i've been able to start to build that and while um, we still have a ton of work ahead of us we are able to really already see year over year how we're performing. And I think that's something um, always looking at the data to, to show that you're you're generating that return and the the goals and the awareness they were expected to generate. And it's great that you're talking about this from a, a B2B perspective, because it's that historically it's often been something that's neglected in sort of the B2B side of marketing. People that like obviously people know straight away brand awareness is super important for B2C, but it seems like it's only fairly recently in like historical terms that B2B is catching up. What do you think the reason is for that? Um, I think people think of businesses as a business and a corporation, but they forget that the people that are buying your product at a business are people at the core. So while we are marketing to brands, your customer is a person. So I think that's something that you really have to keep in mind is that just the same as B2C, while that consumer might be buying your product or a little bit quicker to be able to go onto the website, sign up or purchase from an ad, we at the same time are trying to reach people. The people that we're trying to reach are normal people. They have lives, they have personalities, they have interests. And how can we ensure that our brand messaging is reaching them at the right time in the right mindset for whatever decision they're making on behalf of their business at that time. But at the same time, we want to connect with them just as people. So um, ensuring that it is you're building a relationship, you're not just kind of building this transactional um, business to business sale. Just to add to that as well, Rachel, I would say as well, also just the general busyness of the marketplace is necessitated B2B branding becoming more important. Like if you go back 20, 30 years, like who were the big tech companies that you were, you only worked with the big tech companies. You had the IBMs, you had your, maybe your Amazons at the time, you had your Microsofts. Now there are 
thousands and thousands of SaaS companies out there, all servicing all these different things, all these very, very specific SaaS companies as well. And there's a lot of competition there. And if someone doesn't like your brand, they don't have any kind of emotional connection to prevent them going to one of your competitors. And like previously, where it was just, you stuck with the one provider because it's the only provider you have access to. Yep. I think that's also really important. Um, so as I said, when we, when I started a year and a half ago, we had just acquired the TapAd business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so TapAd is a, it was a startup within the ad tech space. They've been around for 10 years, but there are some cu- customers on the B2B side that have been working with Experian Marketing Services for decades, for 20 years. These are relationships. These are longstanding relationships. It's not kind of a vendor um, buyer uh profile or or relationship experience, it's very much driven on the relationship that we have with those, our contacts at those brands or those other customers. Um, They trust that we have their best interest at heart. When we're working on something, a new product, a new feature, a new capability, we're going to them, we're getting their feedback, we're uh, brainstorming a bit, and that's how you build a true partnership. And again, it's not, it becomes less transactional and it's about the people and people trust our brand then as a B2B brand in the same way that a consumer trusts a brand because they've always been an Apple user or whatever it is. And then that trust is incredibly important in B2B because if you choose the wrong brand to work with in a B2B business, it's not just your own potential like wallet that gets hit. It's not like buying a faulty product at a store. You can have a massive impact on the bottom line of the company. You could threaten potentially dozens or even hundred people's jobs by making the wrong kind of purchase. So that trust level, that branded kind of relationship that you build up, that's incredibly important just to get people even thinking about considering your, uh, your services. Yep, exactly. And I think the um, the sales cycle is so long too, especially in B2B. You might have six months, that's probably on the shorter end. It might be a year, it might be two years. And so really building that trust and that relationship you know, uh, helps your customers at the end of the day be able to go back to their their bosses go back to their teams and and know that we're making they're making the right investment. Um, and I think that's something that's also really unique about B2B is if you have that partnership, it's less about like, hey, what what can you do for me? What can I sell to you? And more about how can I make your job be easier? How can I make you look great for your boss? How can we make this all around a really successful investment? Because if you win at the end of the day, because of something that you've been using that's ours, whether it's data or technology, you kind of all win, right? Definitely, definitely. It's, 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 it is more of like a partnership in, in B2B, particularly in the SaaS model, particularly in like the agency partnership model, of course. Um, so we're talking about the importance of brand, and I feel like we're, we're kind of preaching to the converted here, like the vast majority <laughs> of our audience are marketers. The big question is, why when economic downturns happen, when marketing budgets get reduced, why is it always the brand building activities that seem to go first? Why are they not prioritized over more performance driven stuff? I think that the easy answer, which I don't know, I don't think it's the right answer, but the easy answer is it's harder to measure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also the brand marketing is setting a foundation for years, right? It takes a long time to build a brand. It takes a long time to build that trust and that awareness and whatnot. Um, it is very easy to look at a uh, demand gen program and see, I spent this amount of money and three months later, I saw this number of leads. And so I think that's, um, it, it's kind of a an easy place to point and cut cut dollars, but not necessarily always the right decision. It's really going to be have to be a mix. Um, and I think that's a decision that you make as a business. Where are we going to cut? Is it the brand work? Is it the lead gen work? Is it a combination of the two? And how can we also then 
find other ways to increase our pipeline that are not maybe as dependent as some of those bigger dollar activities. And yet there's so many marketers out there, so many people in the CMO Alliance community in particular who are tearing their hair out over the fact that they can't do this obviously valuable brand awareness building activities. Like they know it, they just can't show it to the board. I think that's maybe the big problem. It's the disconnect between being able to show the value in real terms to people who don't necessarily, I don't want to say don't understand, maybe don't necessarily care as much about the things that marketers care about. Um, so I think it is maybe a communication issue. Yeah, so I, I can say from the work that we've been doing since I started, a big part of the last year, and it wasn't a big part of the money, it was a big part of time, to be honest, was um, understanding our, our current brand awareness, doing research to understand uh, customers' awareness, prospects' awareness, not just of our brand, but our capabilities, understanding the um, affinities that they had. So how did they feel about certain products or capabilities or the brand in general? And we were doing that for both the Experian brand, the market, Experian Marketing Services brand, but also tap ads so that we understood how to bring them together. What were the qualities of the two brands that we wanted to take forward? What did that mean from a joint brand going forward? And then how could we really simplify that story? And I think that um, that work is so instrumental. And sometimes when I would give updates to the business, I would feel it was a little bit fluffy. Mm -hmm. um, and I would admit that I would like, I would say, I know this seems fluffy. We're talking about our brand personality or we're talking about um, the PowerPoint templates we use, but trust me, I promise you, if we do this right, it will, it should just fade into the background and almost seem so easy and um, uh, just common sense. If we do it right, it will not be distracting. It will sound fluffy for a couple of minutes when I give you this update, but you'll see the results right away. And I think that people appreciate the um, the update, the why are we doing this? Why is it important? What does it mean for us, for our business, for our sellers at the end of the day? Um, and we're kind of starting to see that result, the buy-in, people feeling they came along for the ride. And then now we're starting to see the increase in um the uh, share of voice that we have in our the reference to our brand and, and whatnot. So um, when you were doing the sort of audit of your current position of brand awareness, was, uh, what were those the metrics you were looking at that you had talked about earlier in the, the show? Do you want to reiterate them just for the, the audience? Sure. Yeah. So the, fir the first thing we looked at um, generally was share of voice. When I started, um, I will laugh uh, and bring this up quite regularly. My president was like, we just need to get loud. We have to get loud in the market. Our competitors are so loud. They they sneeze and then they put out a press release. Um, and uh, we are just very conservative when it comes to outward uh, marketing, press coverage, things like that. And so we had to just be really smart about how we covered it. So we looked at share of voice. We looked at um, mentions in the press. We looked at um, uh, requests for uh, it, comment on news articles. Uh, we looked at analyst coverage and we were really just trying to build a baseline of information across all of those kind of brand assets. We then looked at brand equity. So we looked at how people perceived our brand capabilities over others. That was all through quantitative and qualitative research. Um, and that kind of gave us after about six months of research and understanding and level setting um, kind of a baseline of where we thought we stood as a, the marketing services business with an experience. And that gave us a really clear plan of how, where do we want to be? Are we okay with where we are here? Where do we want to increase, um, adjust the levers? So where do we want to kind of put our foot down to the pedal a little bit more? Where do we think we're okay? And it's okay that maybe we're not performing in a certain capa uh, capacity. And that helped us build the strategy. So coming six months out, we said, 
this is what we want to achieve. These are what we want those numbers to look like in a year. How do we make that happen? And so now it's been about a year and a half. We're starting to see the year over year numbers and it takes a while, but you can uh, really quickly start to feel the impact. You can, um, when you get a call from a reporter for a comment on a piece, an article that they're doing when they never called you before, or um, you start to see the share of voice year over year around the quality and quantity of the coverage that we're getting as a brand that all starts to tell the story. But as long as the business was bought in, like everybody was when we first started on this project, they they get excited by getting those little updates as well. And it, it may not seem day to day, like you're making a ton of progress, but when you take a step back and you look at it year over year and you look at how it's influenced your strategy and if your strategy is being successful, you can, you can really see um, the performance and the results. So the, those metrics like brand equity and share of voice, were those metrics you were sharing outside the marketing department or were they just kept internally within your own team? No, we shared them. I think it's really important to be completely transparent with the business. So we were giving updates on a very regular basis around what we were seeing and why that influenced the decisions we were making from a, a brand um, and a marketing strategy perspective. So the dollars that we were investing, um, the coverage we were doing, the events we were participating in, it all kind of came back down to those metrics. Um, and we use those metrics still today. We give updates to all our all team meetings um, about the performance that we're seeing, whether it's brand performance or lead gen performance and whatnot. Um, and I think it's really trans it's really, really important to be transparent because marketing can seem so fluffy and um, disconnected from the rest of the business. But when um, when I look back at it, I my goal is always to be influencing revenue and to always be driving growth for my teams, for my, my sales team, my product team, whatever it is. Um, and so that that's kind of the lens that I take. Is this something that will help us generate more revenue at the end of the day? Let's talk about showing how these activities can talk can drive revenue. Because when you share like lead gen updates, like it's quite clear to people who aren't marketers that we've generated this many leads, that should equate to this amount of revenue if everything goes well. Yep. It's a bit harder when it comes to brand activities, a bit harder when it comes to share of voice. Do you have some kind of process in place for showing the correlation between those numbers going up and revenue growing up? Or is it more sort of you're fortunate to have a board and people who are quite bought into these metrics already? Because I can imagine there are a lot of CMOs out there where they've got CEOs, CFOs, they don't care about share of voice. They just care about, is this going to drive revenue at the end of the day? Yeah. So I think it's a little bit of both. Um, in some of those softer metrics, like, hey, we went out with a new brand positioning. There are things like reference. Are people, not just our customers, but is the market referencing the new brand architecture? Is it landing? Because if it's, um, if you can, if uh, the market can recall your brand, your product capabilities, that is a win in and of itself because that's the general awareness. Um, and then some of these others, like say an event, events are a big part of our branding strategy. Uh, we want to be able to go out. We want to be um, meeting with customers that helps build a pipeline for us. We do two big temple events a year. One's in January, one's in June. Those are opportunities for us to build a pipeline for our sales teams of contacts that they can then follow up on. So while the brand, the event itself is around branding and awareness, it is uh, directly correlated to the sales team having conversations that we can track that in six to 12 to 18 months, we are able to see this initial contact that we had with the customer when they signed up for a thought leadership panel we had at this event. They had a meeting with so-and-so 
over the course of the year, then they've also seen these touch points around an email campaign or they downloaded a white paper and we start to track all of that. And then at the end of the day, say all of these touch points generated this revenue um, that came out of the um, out of that initial conversation from an event that we had. So while some of those are a little bit fluffier, we do try to tie them back to the the, the journey and kind of the funnel in just a very traditional marketing way of it, of like high touch points, getting a little bit lower down and being able to see the conversions. Um, but that's something that we are still building. So when I first started um, following the acquisition, we had two CRM platforms. So every campaign we were running, we were running twice. Um, we were trying to generate, uh, show our leads and we were running them out of two systems. So we've all, we've consolidated our CRM. We've consolidated all, all of our email marketing. We've now consolidated our um, social channels and things like that. And we're getting into a good rhythm of um, being able to put together projections, track the results. And we're seeing that now coming out a year later um, even doing work like cleaning up our uh, our CRM system and making sure that all the accounts are in there properly and all of the um, the the contacts at those accounts are all appropriately uh, labeled and structured so we can start to see the results and we do audits on a monthly basis to ensure that we're not like miscounting anything or we haven't missed anything um, and so it all comes down to data at the end of the day and some of those larger brand strategies. I partner very closely with our sales leadership on, and we say, we want to invest in this way. We are combining our, our strategy and our efforts as marketing and sales. And while we may not be able to attract leads from coming out of this event for six to 12 months, it's we know that it's important. And that's also extremely um, helpful as having a partner in your sales organization that will they'll advocate for your branding strategies because it helps them at the end of the day. Definitely, definitely. So it's a lot to unpack there. I'm going to start with talking about the um, the multi-touch attribution, because I feel that's been one of the things that's been really missing from B2B marketing for a long time. Like single touch attribution just sends you off in completely the wrong direction when it comes to these long sales cycles. And I think multi-touch attribution is gonna be the real sort of secret ingredient to really show the power of brand to non-marketers. How are you going about building this process? Are you still in the midst of building the process? Like, how are you going about doing it, particularly when it comes to sort of non-digital activities like events? Like, how are you getting that sort of digital footprint in order to make sure you can attribute things? Because you can't attribute a handshake at the end of the yep. day. So yeah, how, how are you actually keeping track of all these different touch points? Yeah. So, I mean, we still have not, it, we have not figured it out by any means. We're, it's, I would say, um, if you ever think that you have anything totally figured out, you're probably not evolving and growing and learning. So we are, um, it's, an, like I said, I think we're doing our audits on a monthly basis. So it is a very, uh, evol it's a very fluid and evolving process for us. Um, but things that we're doing now are ahead of these events, uh, ensuring that we're reaching out to all of our email lists so that people know we're going to be at these events. We have social cards for our team. So anyone going to the events are on LinkedIn and they're sharing, hey, I'm going to this event. Are you interested in meeting? Maybe they don't actually have a meeting, but they have shown interest. So then we have a con we have a contact touch point that we can attribute to somebody interested in this event. Then we can continue to build that awareness for that funnel, um, for that say, that contact of, um, did we actually meet with them? So maybe we didn't, uh, track a meeting in a, an online system, but we can go back and our sellers are keeping track of who they've actually connected with or tracking those en engagements in a um, in the CRM system. And then we can start to see that generate more 
activity over time. So we are seeing that that contact again came to the website. So we use systems that help us with um, understanding our web traffic and the type of people that are coming from different brands. We can see their activity, how many pages they're going on on the website. So that gets into the digital aspect, obviously, but being able to connect that offline to online is really important with the kind of the handshake of tracking an activity to a, a contact. Um, but it's still not perfect, but we're getting better. Well, I think the whole B2B industry is just getting better right? because more B2B businesses are doing more sort of more out of out of home advertising. They're doing more sort of stuff that's more traditionally B2C. Like we've got B2B brands doing Super Bowl ads now. And yep. how do you how do you attribute stuff from a, a Super Bowl ad at the end of the day? So I think, yeah, we're getting better at it as an industry, but there still is work to be done. And I think that also there's new tech coming out as well. It's going to be very helpful in tracking all these different touch points and just really, really mapping out the full B2B buyer journey is going to be a very, very interesting exercise, I think, for a lot of uh, businesses. Yeah. And I think that's really true. That's very much where we are, is we are still figuring out our buyer journey, right? Mm -hmm. um, we are figuring, we're, we're trying to understand what that looks like. What are the sales cycles? What are the touch points? How do we track them? Um, and it's all just about taking the data, whatever data is available, making sense of it so that you can tell a story that's cohesive, that when you present that to a non-marketer, they go, oh, that does make sense. They attended this event. They visited the website, but were, did not actually click or download anything. But they then joined a webinar that we had. Like telling that customer journey story is so important um, so that people understand the value of every aspect of your marketing programs. And, and not to keep harping on about, but this is something that B2C does very well, particularly in sort of the, the e-commerce world, like yeah. being able to jump between different platforms seamlessly, being able to really really see like all the different channels that your customers are arriving from that's something they're doing very well in sort of their their omni-channel marketing yeah, business exactly. and i think that's that's a model that we need to look more into for for b2b for sure yeah um so i wanted to talk about the um the crm audit um is it just as simple as sort of making sure it's all up to date or are you like checking on sentiment as part of that are you checking like how different accounts are responding to the brand currently we're not at that level right now. It's checking that everything is up to date. It's um, it's going back and we do kind of point um, spot checks. So it's not necessarily always looking at every data point that came in throughout the, the month, but looking at um, maybe a couple of accounts that we know maybe we had a higher engagement with and that they're all tracked. Um, I kind of consider it when um, you go in to the airport and they do like a random audit or something like, hey, we're going to check your bag today. So we do kind of that random audit of like an account or a set of an accounts or a vertical. And every month we're changing that up a little bit to ensure that we're catching everything. Um, but it is more we're not checking sentiment at that point where it's more. Are we tracking the right engagements? Are we marking them correctly? Are we at the right? Um, are, are the sellers? Uh, attributing them to the right stage of the funnel. How does that funnel stage align with the um, the probability of closing the deal? So if they're lower in the funnel and the seller has it at a 10% probability, we want to check that that's actually correct because if based on our research, we know that that higher that lower probability is more representative of higher funnel activity. Um, but also looking at the where people are getting stuck. That's something we look at a lot. If we see that somebody's getting stuck at a certain level in the funnel, what do we need to do? How do we need to uh, uh, do we need to have a BDR uh, on the phone talking to them about what their challenge is? Do we need to make sure that the sellers are going out and doing a uh, meeting with that account? Are we changing our strategy and getting them more um, tangible thought leadership? And are we putting them into a different uh, 
marketing process then and kind of a marketing strategy based on where they are. So it's a little bit of everything. It's not as, um, I think we will get more robust over time with things like sentiment and whatnot, but I, it, I, it's a good exercise for us to, to pressure check our strategy, pressure check where we are with sales and make sure that we're all building them to, to go further down the pipeline. Definitely, definitely. And I think as well that it's, it still adds up to sort of like these brand building activities as well. Like the, the idea of having a very seamless buyer journey, that's part of brands. Like that's, that's a, a brand perception to have. That's something you need to build on. So these activities that seem like just funnel building activities do still work towards building the brand as a whole, I think as well. Exactly. I think that's, yeah, that is a mistake that a lot of marketers can fall into thinking there's two entirely separate things. Yeah. And I think something that we've been testing out from our campaigns as well is we do, um, we're we're really trying to think of if we are doing thought leadership, it's doing thought leadership that's uh, both brand building, awareness around a capability or um, a skill set that we have as a corporation, but then also um, how do you pair that with if somebody doesn't need to go through the full funnel, they see that and they just want to be able to take an action. How do you give them that action at the same time? So if we're doing a piece of thought leadership around audiences that we think are going to perform well for retail and back to school, we talk about this um, the analytics behind it, why these audience perform, what are the uh, behaviors and the psychographics that are that are attributing the what we expect to be good performance for these types of buyers. But then at the same time, if you're interested in, in activating against an audience because you are running a digital campaign and you want to reach this uh, adult 25 to 54 with X, Y, and Z profile, here it is. Go. Here's how you find it in a platform to be able to buy it today. So we are kind of trying to cover both bases a little bit um, since we're still so early in kind of the branding and also lead gen work. Yeah, for sure. Sure. So lastly, the, the relationship with your head of sales, I definitely want to talk about because obviously that's so important in any kind of industry, but particularly in B2B. But yet the head of sales, they often feel quite disconnected from brand building activity. So it's really quite refreshing to hear that yours is so involved in it. Can you talk a bit a lot a bit about how that working relationship goes? I imagine it's a bit like a two-way street in terms of like support you provide. Can you tell me a bit about that? Sure. So um, the way that our sales organization is set up, my peer is a chief uh, commercial officer. Um, we've been working together since about May when he joined the business. Um, he came in to bring the sales teams from the two businesses together as one. Um, and we are very much lock and step on a daily basis around the strategies that we're executing, how to prioritize because um, he has a, a large sales team and we can't treat every sales vertical or every engagement equally, we have to be able to prioritize what, what do we want to be the priority now? What do we want the priority to be later? How are we performing? Is there a vertical that we need to give some life to because maybe they're seeing their, um, their, their uh, leads are starting to get stuck in maybe the MQL, they're not converting to an SQL um, perspective. Um, so that's very much a partnership just on gut checking, giving an update, how are we performing? Um, what are your priorities as a seller, a, a sales leader, and how does that translate then back into the support that we can provide? And we're doing everything from product marketing to the vertical marketing, to the legion, to the events, to the branding. So um, there's a lot for them and for us to be able to optimize and adjust based on um, where we are. It's not necessarily all brand. It's not necessarily all legion. It might be um, product education. Like there, there's a whole... Um, uh, plethora of things that we're doing for the the team. And then I think um, underneath our CCO, we have sales leaders for different types of clients. So we have a brand sales leader that's a leader that's going to our brand clients. Um, 
like a CPG or a retail or a healthcare company. Um, and then we have an ad tech sales arm. So that's where we're going to platforms and technologies and agencies that are all kind of working on or behalf of with those marketers. So really trying to come at it from both ends. Um, and that team is also just super important because they are on the ground day to day with those sellers. They're understanding the pain points. They're understanding how we're coming up against our competitors. So when I work with our CCO, it's more around strategy. Um, once we get into the next layer, it's about execution for those those sales teams and those um, those those different clients and client verticals and the horizontals um, and how can we really help them move the needle um, and then they the way that I describe it is again kind of like I said with clients when our clients win we win when our sellers win we win from as a marketing team and it's really fun to start to put together some of the case studies around the uh, progress of an account over a year or six months or whatever it is and how we all of our touch points and how we worked really closely together to get it to be a success. Um, and that that's, I think is just fun. We can all, all share in the wins. It's always great to be able to celebrate wins, particularly when it's a, a almost like a company-wide win, isn't it? It's something that everyone can get involved with. So when it comes to sort of the, the brand side of things, how much input, how much feedback do you get from the sales team on like how brands are perceived? Because I imagine being on the front line, talking to customers, being aware of the competition, who customers are choosing over you, et cetera, et cetera. They probably have maybe more first-hand experience with how your brand's perceived than the marketing branch of the business does. Yeah, so I think... Um the work, the brand work that we did over the last year and a half, they were along for every step of that ride. So they were helping us find the customers that we wanted to be interviewed as part of our qualitative research. Um, they were identifying prospects that we couldn't crack for whatever reason. And we we were getting them in as well as part of the um, qualitative research. Um, we were giving them, uh, I don't remember how frequently we did it, but they were getting updates on a very regular basis, kind of the sales leadership, as well as our product leadership, as well as our broader business leadership on um, the results that we were seeing and how that meant we were going to change our strategy. And then when it came time to, we did a big simplification of our product architecture. We had something like 150 products when I started. Wow. Um, we were down to two. It doesn't wow. mean we have less capabilities. It's just, we really simplified how we talk about it. Because a lot of the feedback was that People felt that we just had a laundry list of things. There wasn't a cohesive story. It was very features-based and it was not um, strategy or solution-oriented from a brand's perspective. Mm -hmm. And they were very instrumental in being in hitting that that number, that two products, um, getting their buy-in because they're gonna they're gonna have to go out and sell it and talk about it at the end of the day. And if they feel like we've taken something away from them, that will be detrimental overall. So getting every bought everyone bought in, comfortable trade, et cetera, that was really important. And now the conversations are less around, like, I don't know what we do. Our clients don't know what we do. It's more around this specific feedback that we're getting from a customer or, hey, this awesome white paper that so-and-so competitor did. Be great if we could do something like this in the future. It's very um, collaborative around how do we kind of bring our best foot forward um, when we're showing up, how we're showing up and whatnot, if that makes sense. It does totally. I imagine getting them brought in at such an early stage with this kind of process as well makes it easier to get buy-in for future activations, for future activities as well. Because if they've been a part of building up this process to begin with, they want to see it continue as well because they're, they're invested. They're, they maybe enjoyed the process and they want to see it continue as well. Yeah. So I imagine it contributes really nicely to just the general company culture behind uh, just having people invest in the brand across the business, not just within the marketing department. 
Yeah, definitely. I think it's been, um, so when I, when I started, we had a very small lean and mean team. We had a couple of contractors that were working on design and content. Um, we've built the team now to have a product marketing function, a partner marketing function, um, a brand and experience function, as well as a, but we're still a very small lean team, but a lead gen function. And I think people appreciate that there are all of these resources where they were, they were done before so that it allows them to focus on selling. If we're the ones that are able, if we're creating content, we're creating that awareness, we're helping to fill that pipeline for them. They can focus on having those conversations with clients and they're not trying to come up with a witty way to reach out to a client about a new back to school audience that we've developed. Um, so I think that they, they see the results and it's, it's a fun and exciting time because we're testing and learning. And I always say, I was like, I always say, um, I don't know if this is going to work exactly. This is my projection. Let's see how it goes. I need your feedback so that we can course correct because I, the worst thing I can do is continue down a path that we don't think is going to be successful, whether that's me, whether that's someone on my team or whether that's a seller or another a product person. It's it's really important that we're all bought in because at the end of the day, we're we're trying to generate revenue for the business. Excellent, excellent. So Rachel, I feel we've covered quite a broad field here let's try and talk about some maybe like practical steps for our cmo audience let's say we've got cmos maybe stepping into a situation similar to your own where there wasn't much brand to work with they've got to build that up maybe they're in a situation where the board isn't as receptive as yours has been to investing in brand investing in brand awareness as a as a valuable part of the company how would you advise them to really present this idea to them are there any like particular case studies they should be looking at? Are there any particular examples out there or really just a mindset they should be presenting? Yeah. So I think the one thing that's really unique about us is that we're building a brand within a larger brand. So Experian generally has a, a well-known brand. We have a, yeah. a, a very well-known B2C side of the business and our board understands the marketing uh, that's needed to drive that, that brand awareness. Um, so maybe I had a leg up because I didn't have to explain branding it uh, at, uh, from scratch, um, but really explaining the B2B side was very important. Um, and what we did was looked at, um, we, I think bringing in a third party to help us with that brand research was really important um, because it wasn't just, it, it kind of took all the emotion out of it. It wasn't, hey, we're not performing, we're not loud, whatever it is. It was very data driven and you let the data tell the story. And I think that's kind of how I've, I've been approaching both the, the level set, the goal setting, the tracking of the performance against those initial goals that we had. It takes the emotion out of it. It's less, hey, trust me, we really need to do a better job or trust me, it's working. It's it's data driven. They become really comfortable with the data then if you have if you start with that conversation of where we're being deficient, um, you can point back to that same exact data. You don't have to re-explain it and you can show the performance and the growth, it just makes it so much easier, always kind of being data-driven in any way, shape, or form. Definitely, definitely. So, Rachel, maybe let's let's tie things off with your three golden rules for how people should be approaching brand awareness right now. Like, what are the big things people should be thinking about when it comes to brand awareness, particularly in light of cost of living crises, budgets shrinking? Like, how should we be thinking about brand, brand awareness as marketers, and how should we be explaining that to our compatriots in other departments? Yeah, I, I don't know if I'll, I'll have three. Let me think though. Um, I think the big, my big kind of takeaway in the the piece of feedback I always come back to is um, your clients are people too. Build that connection. 
Um, and that will be part of your brand awareness as well. It may not be a marketing activity. It's building that connection on a human level that helps keep your brand and your, your services or your seller top of mind. So if you can always think back to the people that are at the other end of that, that email or that cold call or that thought leadership campaign that you're running, always think about the people at the end of the day. I think that's so important. Um, and then I think about, um, the data, always go back to the data. What are the data points you want? Be really clear about what it is that your objectives are and be steadfast in being able to deliver against those objectives. And then probably the third thing is don't be afraid to fail. If it's not the end of the world, if it doesn't work out, just be um, the worst thing is not adjusting and not changing um, based on your learnings. So um, I've seen in the past, not, not here, where um, you set out to do something and you just want to continue to do that because that's what you set out to do. And you're afraid to say that, hey, that didn't work. So that, again, that transparency, that data-driven approach will give you the, um, will give you the tools to say, you know what, we tried it. It didn't work. Good thing we only spent a month on it. We're going to change it again. And we'll, we'll look at, we'll look back in two months and see how we performed. Don't, um, don't be afraid of change. Don't be afraid of failing. And don't be afraid of adjusting and being agile in your strategy, I think is kind of the big, the big thing. Awesome. Three pillars, not just to build your approach to brand building on, I think to build your entire career on there, Rachel. So thank you very much for that advice there. It's great. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for joining us today as well. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think we've covered some very interesting points about brand awareness, about just basically how to operate within a business in order to move the needle on this, which I think is very important for CMOs right now. So thank you very much for joining us, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me, Will. This was great. Well, thank you once again, Rachel. And thank you to our audience as well. I'm sure you found this, this conversation as enjoyable as I have. We'll be back soon with some more CMO combos. Like what you heard from this CMO combo? Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating so the whole world knows how great it was.